the reluctance or inability of a dominant in-group, in this case younger adults, to give up their ageist stereotypes is that they continue to benefit from maintaining a well-defined out-group, in this case older adults. Hi there, I'm Michael Patterson, and welcome to the Mind Ramp podcast, where we discuss all matters concerning living long and living well. And I'll be joined in a little while by my colleague, my Mind Ramp colleague, Roger Anjanson. Okay, so the question of the day is how do we acquire negative age stereotypes? And to answer that question, we're going to look at Becca Levy's stereotype embodiment theory. Levy is a researcher and a professor of epidemiology and psychology at Yale University. Levy suggests that we internalize negative ageist stereotypes when we're very young. These stereotypes get reinforced as we move into adulthood, and then, finally, we grow into the outgroup that is targeted by ageist stereotypes. We grow old ourselves, and we become the victims of not only external stereotypes, prejudice and biases and discrimination and so on, but we also suffer the negative consequences of self-inflicted ageist stereotyping. So, as is my usual practice, I'm going to call up my partner, Roger Anjanson, up there in Oregon, and uh, engage in a conversation with him about these topics. One ringy-dingy. Two ringy-dingies. Hello, Michael. Hey there, Roger. How you doing? I am here, and I'm ready. I'm ready to have my stereotype embodied <laughs> yes. that's a po- that's a positive stereotype i hope yeah whatever yeah let's embody uh, positive stereotypes not negative ones so yeah becca levy's stereotype embodiment theory so that's that's the topic for the day like two two different ways to think about this how do we acquire them and if necessary how do we get rid of them or flip them All right, so the first assumption that, um, that Becca Levy puts out there is that we assimilate negative stereotypes when young. Does that ring true to you, Roger? It does now, Michael, but until we started working on this podcast, I'd never even thought about how young would my image of aging have really started. Yeah, me too. I don't know that I thought about it a lot, but I kind of assumed, oh, as we got older, we sort of accumulated these ageist things. But it's kind of a profound idea that this is implanted when we're very young. So let's, let's go. How do, how do we pick up these, these negative age stereotypes? Well, in my case, Michael, it started with family. And whoever came into my world, which was small, uh, whoever came in was someone who I could see was different. And I think that's where it starts is family. Uh, And if you get out to groups as a family, when you're really young, you're going to pick up some of those stereotypes. Well, it's an interesting point. At what age can children start thinking for themselves really about, you know, ageism? 
and I think for a, a period of time at any rate, they are pretty much just accepting whatever the authority figures are putting out there. And I think that's one of the things that is, is sort of important about Becca Levy's point here is that Ages stereotypes are pervasive, and we put out, as adults, put out ages stereotypes without even realizing it. And if there are young children there just watching us and learning from us, they're picking up those same stereotypes without even realizing it or having the capacity to challenge it and and compare it to something different. Another area, Michael, is language. The words that you use, the words that you use in front of a child are going to be absorbed. Uh, there aren't ear lids that everything that you say about a person might be picked up by that child. And once they all continue to be negative, that's the first start of a negative stereotype. In the previous episode, we talked about the World Health Organization's definition of aging as entailing stereotyping, prejudice, and discrimination. And it occurs to me that a child just watching what's going on in the world, if the adults in their world are expressing stereotypes, are expressing prejudices towards older adults, and are discriminating against older adults, what they're learning is that's the way you do things. That's that's the normal mode of behavior. So that's another way that I think you could pick up uh, these negative ages stereotypes when you're young. Let's move to, to Levy's second point. The first one being that we assimilate or integrate negative ageist stereotypes when we're young, when we're kids. The second point is that as we get older, as we move into adulthood, we reinforce those stereotypes. So let's look at what are some of the ways that we reinforce these stereotypes when we're adults? Yeah, and just as you did when you were a child, you, it's what you see and what you hear. And the more you see and hear, pretty soon you're starting to take that in and create your additional stereotypes. I want to read a, a statement from Becca Levy that appeared in another one of her studies called Age Stereotype Paradox. She says, an unwillingness or inability of the dominant in-group, that is the young, to forsake all prejudice may be partially explained by its benefiting from the maintenance of subordinate outgroups, that is the old. There are two important points here that I want to pull out and make clear. One, she's making a, a distinction between the in-group and the out-group. And uh, this is this tendency that we have to uh, consider there's an us and there's a them. We are part of the in-group, the us. Then there's the them, the out-group. We feel good about ourselves and we bond with the us group. We tend to think think poorly of the out-group. They are lesser than we are. And what Becca Levy is suggesting is that that's what goes on with uh, young prejudice against the old, that the younger in the in-group, the older in the out-group, and you need to maintain that difference in order to feel good about your in-group. So that's one of the ways that age stereotypes, negative age stereotypes, are reinforced. 
You know, one of the uh, the main offenders in terms of uh, fostering these stereotypes is the whole anti-aging industry. We had talked about the in-group and the out-group, and certainly what the industry does is say, if you look old, you are definitely in the out-group, and you need to buy our product so that we can make you look younger and um, get back into the in-group. Yeah, and when that's a multi-billion dollar industry, global industry, with marketing specialists that can grab attention and really sell their products by making you afraid of that uh, day you turn from an in-group person to an out-group, it's really a powerful message. And much of this goes way back to the old days of uh, really snake oil generations ago that were to supposedly be a quick fix for something. And if you didn't use this or you didn't use that, that you were in the out group. Of course, there's a whole history of toothpaste and other things mm. that had deodorant. You have to have this, these or else, well, the or else was a place you didn't want to go. You were scared by Madison Avenue. Was it Dove soap that, that started doing some good marketing using older models? I think you're right. And we need to have others like that try to use those uh, people who are images of aging that we need to get competing with those that are only focusing on young people. Another area that seems to me to reinforces uh, ageist stereotypes is our observation of prejudice and discrimination, for example, in the workplace, if it's out there and it's not being questioned and you see that somebody who is suddenly in the outgroup of older people is being discriminated against and is not getting the promotions, is not getting the jobs, then there's going to be, whether you like it or not, this feeling of, okay, I don't, I've got to make sure that I do not position myself as being in that out group. All right, then the third aspect of Levy's point is that as we get older, which we all hopefully will do, if we're going to live long, we're all going to get older, we suddenly move into that out group. And um, then we begin suffering the consequences of the prejudice and the discrimination. And as Becky, uh, Becca Levy has found, it also, when you have those negative stereotypes about yourself or when they're inflicted upon you, it's bad for your health, it's bad for your mood, you get depressed, it has all kinds of negative impacts. And Michael, I heard you say suddenly, that we suddenly get into, actually it, it isn't sudden, but there'll be one time where you just feel like, uh-oh, I'm there. Good point. I know women have said to me that at a certain age, they realize that they have become invisible. Ouch. And when we reach that time and we have the ability to really figure out where we are, then we have almost an unlimited future. But once you have that internalized ageism and you feel like you're suddenly in the outgroup and there's nothing you can do about it, that's where the hard work has to begin. It's clearly documented that when you internalize negative ageist stereotypes, 
it can make you sick, it can make you depressed, it can shorten your life. And it's fascinating that just an attitude that we have can have that profound physiological effect. And it strikes me, Roger, that the all of the literature about the placebo effect is instructive here. Placebo effect is defined as a phenomenon in which some people experience a benefit after the administration of an inactive substance or a sham treatment. So a, a placebo is a substance with no known medical effects, such as well, sterile water or a saline solution or a sugar pill. And yet, in clinical trials, when they compare this with medication, the placebo often has a more beneficial effect than the drug that's actually being tested. That's the intriguing part about this is that the people have found, the researchers have found that the placebo actually has a beneficial effect often that's greater than the, than the drug that they're testing. So it's like, wait a minute, it's only sugar. There's nothing in there that should have any difference other than the fact that the people thought that they were getting something that was good for them. They're actually releasing something. There were some interesting placebo effect uh, studies in the last few years, and we should do an entire podcast on the placebo in the new world of having open placebos where people know that it's not the actual medication. And the two that I'd like to talk about for a moment are uh, the example of using the same, call it sugar pill, the same sugar pill with two different studies. One study had to do with Parkinson's, and the goal was to see if the patients receiving the placebo only might actually have an, a squirt of dopamine, like we call it a neural squirt. Could that sugar pill create that type of, of chemical in the brain that mm -hmm. allows us to test? And then the same sugar pill was used on a group that was trying to lower their pain. They were in chronic pain. Could the opioids in the brain be released to help that pain? And there's the answer. The same sugar pill released different types of chemicals to different people who thought that they were getting something that would allow either dopamine or opioids to be released within the brain. So is the thinking that that caused the stimulation of the, the neurochemicals, not the substance itself. Yeah, that, That's the headline, Michael. You hit yep. it. It's the thinking yourself well. Now, there's also the evil twin, thinking yourself sick. It's called the nocebo. Placebo, <laughs> is, placebo is positive. Make yourself healthier. Nocebo is make yourself ill. Make is yourself there actual Ill. evidence that uh, you can no, make yourself sick? It's, it started actually with a speculation with an article, really a good article we found from 1961. William Kennedy, who was at that time uh, uh, thinking about the placebo effect, and he wrote an article that if we can make ourselves well with thinking about it, maybe the evil twin, if you believe you're going to get sick, you will. And the one that we use in our course to explain the nocebo was a study that we found that if you gave a group of people a, an injection of a substance and told them that it's either a 50-50 chance, you're either going to get something that'll give you a one-day virus and that it will give three, one of three symptoms or a combination or maybe you won't get any of the symptoms of aches and pains in joints, mm. a runny nose, and a 
mild fever or a combination. Those that that came in with the ready dose and aches and pain <laughs> and that they had a fever, they believed that they had received the virus. Mm. The, catch, the catch is, Michael, they used saline solution on all of the subjects. So here's my question. I know that people can say, I've got an achy joint. That was the joker in the deck. They weren't worried about that, but they took that information in and said, thank you, Michael, but how about your ready dose? I got a ready dose. <laughs> they took a swab as though that was going to be important, and then they took your temperature. How could someone give themselves a temperature, and how could you make your nose run unless you thought you had that virus? So people, just by thinking that they had been given a virus, they actually got a fever. Exactly. Or a combination, or they Amazing. didn't get any. Yeah. yeah. So that, I mean, this goes directly back to the conversation about age stereotypes. Um, if you have positive stereotypes, that can be almost like a, a placebo if you're, you're thinking positively. But the reverse is also true. And that's really what we've been focusing on is that you negative stereotypes are almost like a nocebo. So just by thinking that you are old and in the out group, it's going to make you sick and feel like you're, you're being mistreated and that you're not good enough. And yeah. And, and the nice thing about where we're going with the embodied stereotypes is that the studies are showing that you can flip that. You can change mm -hmm. that. It's not quick. It's not easy, but there are ways that you can get those positive images and you Suppress your, your ability to think about negative by thinking about the positive, thinking about where you could go instead of dreading it. You're looking forward to that period of time where you've got the ability to control your thinking about aging. All right, to sum up, Becca Levy's stereotype embodiment theory suggests that to counter ageist stereotypes, we need to first do all we can to provide positive images of aging for our children. Then we need to continue to confront both implicit and explicit ageism in our culture. And third, we need to resist self-imposed ageist stereotypes that impede our quest for longevity as we age. To learn more about MindRamp, go to our website at www.mindramp.org, M-I-N-D-R-A-M-P dot O-R-G. And remember, if you're struggling with any aspect of your quest for longevity, you can sign up for a free consultation right there at the website, and you can talk to Roger and me, and we'll work with you to put together a plan.